0: Good time to start. I want to welcome our audience to today's webinar. We have a very important topic, how tokenomics is shaping the new economy. In the past, we've discussed the metaverse, we've discussed NFTs, we've had conversations around Web3. And I think tokenomics is a very important topic to discuss because to succeed in the new economy, especially the Web3 economy, you just have to know about tokens, about tokenization, and about tokenomics. Let's do the introductions first. Uh, My name is Sharad Agarwal. I'm the Chief Metaverse Officer of Cybergear. That's an agency I started some 26 years back. So I'm basically a web one guy who went to web two, and now we are inching our way to web three. So that's a very quick background of mine. Uh, When COVID happened, I started onlywebinars.com as a platform for having meaningful conversations such as these. And I'm pleased to inform you that in the last two years, we've had 60 webinars and we've reached out to 14,000 plus people in five continents and 130 countries. So thanks to the internet, uh, we've had uh, an amazing ride. And we have loved all these conversations. Today, I'm happy to introduce to you our panel. We have Kelly who's actually based in Hong Kong, but coming in today from Tokyo, I believe. And we have Vincent, who's coming in from South Africa, and George will be joining us in a bit. So let's do the intros. I go to Kelly. Please introduce yourself to our audience.
1: Thank you, Sharad, and thank you for having me. It's great to meet everyone. Uh, So my name is Kelly. I'm part of Animoca Brands Japan. Uh, We are one of the largest uh, blockchain NFT uh, companies um, in the space. Uh, With Japan, uh, we have a lot of interesting IPs, um, and we take a lot of these IP global and help them move into Web3. Uh, With Animoca, I also have uh, the opportunity to work with a lot of Web3 projects, uh, one that I co-founded also called MAD World, that's M-A-D, which stands for Multiverse Artists Defender. Uh, So we bring in a lot of creators, um, designers, and um, artists to help them move into Web3 and monetize and tokenize their assets. Uh, and then uh, another really interesting project that I've been working on is one called Meta Hollywood. Uh, Meta Hollywood is a joint venture between Animoca Brands, uh, Mad World, and also Planet Hollywood, which owns access to a lot of movie memorabilia and also um, access to celebrity IPs and bringing all this together and having a wonderful uh, e-turn model that um, surrounds that. Uh, And uh, that's um, a quick intro about myself. Uh, I've been in the blockchain NFT space for about four plus years now. Uh, Background is TMT, but very focused on digital marketing and uh, consumer marketing with a lot of um, appreciation for sort of uh, data and big data around uh, targeting the right audience, helping uh, brands uh, connect to the right consumer segment. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Kelly. Let's go to Vincent and then George.
2: Right there. Thanks, Gerard. Yeah, so um, I work for a company called Patank NXT. Um, We are a consulting firm. I'm the chief operating officer. And um, basically what we do is help businesses get from point A to point B. And we do it through process. Um, And the reason why we do that, well... Everything in a business, everything in your life even is a process. Um, you know, just getting out of bed in the morning, you can you can document that as a process. Um, so that's the foundation of everything that we do. And so um, we've developed a very unique, it's a global um, multi-award winning um, methodology where we help businesses to unpack their process and you get feedback uh, from customers saying, I've never seen my business this way before. Uh, we've given them a clarity that they've never had um, in eight years of doing strategy sessions. Uh, so it's a really great way to help businesses unpack what they're about, what a specific process is about. Um, and now with block, the advent of blockchain, um, we're finding that also to be an extremely helpful way of helping businesses to understand how blockchain can work for them. So it starts by taking that process end-to-end. Let's say it's um, an events management process. We've got a webinar here, so let's talk about events management. And we take that that end-to-end process, and then we start to look at, okay, well, if if we integrate blockchain, what's it gonna do for this step? Well, we could apply a smart contract, and we can have a database of things people can choose from, and um, by combining the two, we can start to have automations and money flow happening automatically. And so you go through the process and we can see blockchain will work here, blockchain will work there. And uh, it then also becomes the basis to give to the blockchain developer and say, oh, this is the scope of work. Uh, so it really um, is a wonderful way of, of integrating a new technology into how business works. Um and in terms of our blockchain experience, we've we've got a blockchain practice. Um, we consult, as you can imagine, based on my my explanation now, to a number of companies, um, helping them convert parts of their business over to the blockchain. We've built ourselves um, two blockchain-based platforms. One where you can uh, issue a certification at the end of an internship. Um, it We've built it fairly generically, so it could, could be used for other purposes, but basically um, you have a host and an intern and an institution, a university or some sort of education institution. The internship takes place, and at the end of it, a certificate is issued off the blockchain. The benefit is doesn't matter what happens to any of those parties. The intern can always prove that they had that experience, um, and that's great for war-torn countries or Countries where there's problems and records get destroyed on the blockchain, they don't get destroyed. And then we've also built a bit of an NFT minting platform, which we've linked to Ukraine animals that have been displaced through the war. And by uh, acquiring an NFT, we donate those proceeds to um, animals that have been displaced. So, yeah, that's a bit of background from my side. Thanks, Vincent. Let's go to George
0: for your introduction, please.
3: Uh, yes, uh, I apologize a little bit for the noise behind me. I'm actually at uh, NearCon in uh, Lisbon, which is a very big event on uh, layer one blockchain with all, over 2,000 people, but a little bit about myself. I'm uh, George Sebastiao, um, Portuguese-Canadian, originally a mathematician, but uh, doing a lot of work uh, for the last 22 years in cybersecurity, in the last seven years in blockchain. Um for the last five years, we created several things that are important. One is something called EcoX, which is a very large community that started in Dubai with weekly meetups and now has expanded to over 11 countries. Uh, we also at the same time almost created something called the GBO, which is the Global Blockchain Organization, an NGO. Uh, Actually, there's several that got created almost at the same time. One is the GBA, the Government Blockchain Association out of Washington, D.C. The GBO and ADO got uh, formed in Oslo. And it's an NGO that is primarily helping governments and large enterprises implement blockchain. For us, we look at blockchain, and I I would like to differentiate crypto or digital currencies as just a very small implementation of blockchain. Blockchain is actually programmable trust. So it allows you to implement a multitude of solutions that span governments and other organizations to digitize their relationship with their suppliers in an extremely structured way. So we are helped drive the implementation of these solutions. Um, and I can give you one very fast example. One of the large telecom organizations in the world, which implemented the, this blockchain to optimize the relationship with their suppliers, which they have thousands of suppliers, um, ended up saving close to almost $400 million a year through the implementation of a blockchain, just in the relationship with their suppliers. At the time, I was actually one of the suppliers because I was CTO for Huawei for almost six years, 20 countries, but it just shows you that blockchain is quite an amazing uh, technology and its capabilities. So this is the short introduction, thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks George. And I may uh, remind our audience that uh, George runs a lot of very active WhatsApp groups on crypto, on uh, blockchain. And uh, you know, if you are away for five minutes, you will miss 10 messages. His uh, forums are on steroids, uh, but a lot of useful information has been shared by his community. So I do recommend that you reach out to George and participate in some of those conversations. Thank you, George, for your introduction and uh, for your uh, contribution to growing the industry. We really value that. Okay, let me now uh, go to Kelly. Uh, Kelly, let's just assume that some of the members of our audience have no clue about tokens, tokenization, or tokenomics. How would you explain these three terms to them?
1: Well, let's probably just look at the word tokenomics. There's two portions to it, token and economics, so probably around the use of the token to create some sort of economy, let's call it. Um, But I think if you look at tokenomics, uh, basically it is an important element uh, to consider when making an investment into a crypto flavored project or into a blockchain project. Um, The tokenomics a lot of times are a way for projects to look for funding. Uh, And if you look at projects with well-designed incentive structure, to get consumers to engage, buy and use and hold tokens. Those are usually the one that will thrive, I would say. The incentive structure should also be sustainable in the longer term. Therefore likely uh, it need to be backed by either real asset or some sort of true profitable transaction as part of it. Um, Well-built platform often translates into that higher demand over time as new investors support the project. So uh, I guess the best way to look at and understand tokenomics is another way uh, is to look at how projects would deploy and activate the fund that they collect after uh, creating a token and after collecting money from investors for that token. Um, And when launching a project, uh, you have founding members and developers that need to consider the tokenomics of their native Uh, cryptocurrency, and carefully uh, as part of the overall success of the project, um, especially when the project aims to attract investment and to encourage the adoption of the native token. Hopefully that was a a mouthful, but (laughs) gives uh, everyone a better idea of what tokenomics is.
0: Yeah. George, do you want to add anything to that? George, can you hear me?
3: Yes, yes. Uh, I mean for me tokenomics is extremely important. It's kind of a new approach to measure the impact of how we invest in organizations and companies. It's about creating new circular economies that were not there before and it's also about decision making. So let me give you an example about each of them. So first, uh, what do we mean by it's a new way to simply invest? In the past, if you wanted to invest, whether you wanted to invest $1, 1 euro, or 1 million, uh, typically uh, this investment was limited to very few people, uh, what we can sometimes call institutional investors. Everybody was left that the only way they could invest is simply by putting their money in a traditional bank, which means they had probably negative returns on the value of what they have. The second thing is that tokenomics enables you to create economies that were not there before. Let me give you one of the most popular ones associated specifically with impact investment. Uh, Let's talk about something called carbon credits. So using tokenomics and carbon credits, you can create an economy that was not there before. It allows you to establish a relationship between the people that pollute and the people that actually remove the pollution from the atmosphere. So that means our primary objective is to reduce global uh, warming, uh, global pollution. So the carbon credits um, token economy allows us to actually establish a way that the people that remove the carbon get the money from the people that produce the carbon. And this creates a whole circular economy that changes the way we actually establish. There's many other examples, but this is a very simple one. The third one, is around the programmable trust and the programmable money, uh, programmable value. And I usually uh, like the the best example here is DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. So we have the traditional organizations that have been with us for many years, but DAOs enable these organizations to be decentralized. So that means it's actually a combination of two tokens, the original utility token that is part of the economy and is also the... uh, token that actually drives the relationship uh, and the voting rights. Um, And what this token enables you to do is uh, enable individuals to participate in the organization and actually participate in the um, decision making uh, uh, of these organizations. So this allows us to now establish complete new different relationships, and create a much more dynamic ecosystem uh, that we have been able to do before. These tokens are usually known as governance tokens as well. So they actually have a very specific role in doing the governance uh, of the organization. So these are my three key elements or this, the legs of the stool. that I consider the important elements of how it, tokenomics drives uh the new uh, economy
0: yeah thanks george for that explanation uh vincent i mean you're a consulting organization if a company comes to you and wants to understand the benefits of tokenization
2: so what are the top three in your opinion yeah so i, I would um first one, want the customer to understand um the difference between private and public blockchain um, if if it's a, a private use blockchain, I think it uh, constrains the the amount of thought that you need to do in terms of tokenomics, but obviously uh, you lose uh, security as as a consequence of that. The public blockchains are far more secure than private blockchains can be, um, and understanding then we've got a public blockchain. Uh, which is going to offer us security, um, then you really need to look into tokenomics and understand um, whether there's going to be longevity. Um, Prior to the webinar starting, Kelly and I were talking a bit about uh, longevity and and how tokenomics creates that. Um, So essentially, um, you are, when you're setting up the blockchain, making decisions that's going to, either create a long lasting blockchain that people find utility and find economic value in, um, or they don't. And that's what is important now to assess um, in the blockchain that you choose to use to support whatever it is that you want to do in your business. So when you're looking at uh, the use of a public blockchain, you wanna see things that uh, create economic value. So preferably not an unlimited supply. I'm not saying that unlimited supply is a bad thing, but generally in terms of supply and demand, you're gonna get value if there's a limited supply of token. Um, The other thing that you want to look for is that there is an underlying utility. So uh, Ethereum, for example, as a blockchain allows for the development of applications on top of it. And uh, so it has great utility value. Um, So I wouldn't necessarily say there's there's three things I would would, uh, look at. Those are the two core things. And then just add on top of that, uh, whether you're considering public or private. So is supply constrained? Is there actually utility to it? Can I do something more with it? Um, And am I looking at public or private blockchain? Yeah, thanks,
0: Vincent. And just for our audience, uh... I want you uh, to know that uh, Cybergear has created some glossaries, which are some of the terms and tokenomics that have uh, been explained in layman's language. You can download them on cyber-gear.io. We also have Web3 glossaries, NFT, blockchain. So just, uh, you know, it becomes easy for you to familiarize yourself with all the... Uh, gobbledygook and all those uh, terms that are used in uh, discussing these topics. And also you may use the chat window to post your questions uh, for our panelists and all uh, the QA tab. And we've received quite a few questions already through social media and uh, some via email. So I'm gonna start with some of the uh, easy questions first. And the first one goes to Kelly. Uh, This is from Susanna in Austria. She says, uh, why do I even need to care about tokenization? I mean, what would you say to her?
1: Well, I think uh, I would say a couple of things. Uh, Why should we even care about tokenization? A couple of things. If you are running uh, any sort of business venture, and you are looking to possibly raise some fund for your venture, uh, being able to tokenize your project uh, allows you to be able to go into market and um, basically fractionalize uh, what you have or own uh, into a smaller pieces of where uh, the the project is more digestible, okay, from, a, from an overall um, community perspective, right, uh, or from an investor support perspective, that's one aspect. Um, if you look at other reasons for tokenization uh, is, um, for example, if you look at non-fungible tokens, right, NFTs, um, a lot of people prefer to have a really large, let's say, investment piece, we can, let's call it a property, and um, by tokenizing it, you can also be able to fractional, fractionalize the ownership of that property. So if you think timeshare, right, um, that's a way of having partial ownership into something. Um, the other reason why you want to tokenize something is uh, also for uh, the uh, transfer, transferability and having that transparency across uh where assets are transferred and uh, moved from sort of one owner to another and having uh, a layer of uh, authenticity there too.
0: All right, Uh, that's a good explanation. Um, Before I read another question from the audience, uh, Lauren Catcher has uh, posted a question in the chat and she says tokenization is incredibly powerful yet very new and can potentially destroy the entire ecosystem of a project if done incorrectly. What safeguards would you put in place or research do you recommend when implementing a custom tokenomic strategy? Who wants to take this, George? See, um,
3: tokenization, is a very serious uh, business. Uh, You can do tokenization without regulation and it becomes a bit like the Far West. And uh, I think we have many implementations that have been done without the proper governance. And this has obviously in many cases led to disaster or even the destruction of these economies. However, you need to have a combination on one side of uh, this new technology of tokenization, but with the necessary of governmental regulation and governance in place. And what does that really mean? Uh, on one side, we have the tokenomics and the tokenization, which at the end of the day, what is this? It's the digitalization of an economy. What we're doing is we're taking something that is physical in nature, and we're creating a digital twin of that physical uh, economy or that physical asset. Now, that asset could be real estate, could be gold, uh, could be diamonds, uh, etc. it doesn't really matter. Could it actually even be units of work or it could be even a very valuable painting. However, that token really only has value, whether it's the full token, a fractional element of that token, etc. Uh, if the real asset is still there, number one, and number two, if the proper rights to that asset are also there. So that really means you need the governance in the real world and really what we're doing is on one side, we have the physical world. On another side, we have the digital world. And now we have to have a bridge between the two that ties the two together. So you can say the digital twin that exists in the tokenomics needs to really correspond with something that exists in the physical world. And when the proper governance is in place to do that, then everybody is protected, which means that if you own a token, that represents a fractional ownership of the Mona Lisa, you can go and claim it. If it's gold or even if it's USDT, which is uh, the simplest example. And by the way, USDT today is probably the most popular token in usage today. It represents a digital value of a dollar that should actually be stored in some bank. Now, technically you could claim everybody a dollar, but it's not really practical. So if you have ten or $20,000, you can go and claim it, and they're supposed to give you the physical asset, which is the dollars that correspond to this digital one. So this is extremely important to have this governance and this relationship. And then in reality, by having this synchronized correctly, everybody is protected. Otherwise, then you have scams and you have all kinds of Uh, pyramids that get created. And and when it collapses, it hurts a lot of people in the process. Now, I mentioned the relationship between the physical and the digital world. Not everything is this. Some of the new economies are 100% digital. And the best example for that would be, for example, let's say you're a DJ and you have music and the music is digital and you tokenize that music, you have digital to digital. If you're a digital artist and you create um, an animation or you create a digital painting, not a physical one, then this process is even faster because the relationship between the two is important. However, uh, most of this today is represented in NFTs. And by the way, NFTs today have been with us for over five years. So it's not something that got suddenly created yesterday. One of the problems or challenges that still today we have with NFTs is how they're actually structured and implemented in blockchain. And what do I mean by that? Most blockchains that are issuing NFTs, the actual NFT is not itself stored in the blockchain. So this NFT might actually be stored in something like call IPFS, which stands for Interplanetary File System, which may or may not be there, which means that you have the ownership, you have the NFT in your wallet, so you're the real owner, you can prove about it. But if the physical, uh, the, you know, not physical, but the digital representation is not where it should be or in the file system, yeah. that means you have a, a desynchronization between both. So I think we need to fix this in the sense that the NFT is actually protected either by using the same blockchain or by using a system that actually protects uh, that ownership. Now, besides that, there is other issues to address, which is the identity management of this as well to prevent copies and to prevent false representations, because if you take a copy of a digital, it's much faster to do. But today we have technologies that enable us to identify which one is the real original and which one are the copies. So these identity management systems are extremely important and complementary to provide the governance system into what we're creating here. So that really means that the blockchain and the tokenization fixes the element of degenitization of speed, but we still need to fix the governance part. And once those are in synchronization and they match each other, then the value that was created and is owned now by somebody is actually properly protected.
0: Thank you, George. That was an excellent explanation. I think, Vincent, you want to add something to that?
2: Yeah, in terms of... Um how I would suggest about going about it is first assess um, is this something that I'm going to do that's so unique that it it, it doesn't exist and there's no way of building it on an existing blockchain? And I think in most instances, your answer is going to be no. What I'm doing is not that unique that I need my own private blockchain uh, built from scratch. So you can leverage something that exists. Um, So By leveraging an existing blockchain, like Ethereum, a lot of things are built on Ethereum. um, You are already entering into a a fairly secure, thought-out ecosystem. Uh, But if you have to go into this, and it's it's unique, I have to build this from scratch, make sure that you involve a legal expert that can help you understand the governance aspects of what you're creating. You don't want to suddenly be creating something that um, the... Securities industry, uh, I forget the name of of the American Securities Control Commission, uh, what they call themselves, but you you don't want to be infringing and issuing investable things. And they say, listen, (laughs) you have not complied with any regulations. So have a legal expert on hand, have someone with a good financial understanding of economics, supply, and demand, so that this unique uh, token that you're building is going to have and underlying utility and value. Um, So those those would be the two key people you talk to initially. And then finally, you're gonna have a developer. Um, So make sure you you get a blockchain developer on board um, that has proven experience in building um, tokens that have not fallen flat. Yeah, thanks,
0: Uh, Vincent. uh, Wayne, by the way, has answered your question that uh, regulation authority in US is FAA. I'm not sure what it stands for.
2: But the I'm... SEC. Uh, okay. Glenn, Glenn answered the SEC. That's the one I was SEC. looking
0: for. Okay, perfect. Yes. Uh, so uh, I'm going to again go back to the chat. Uh, Aditya Mani, who's a friend of our show. His question is, if tokenomics and management of liquidity is done by the Web3 service provider, what other aspects of social hacking slash price manipulation must a project owner be worried about? I think I can go to Kelly for this one. Kelly, can you read on the chat? Yeah, you're on mute, by the way. Kelly, you're on mute. Yes, I, I unmute.
3: Yeah, go ahead, please. Repeat, yeah. please.
0: Yeah, George, okay, I'll come to you. Uh, The question is, if tokenomics and management of liquidity is done by the Web3 service provider, what other aspects of social hacking slash price manipulation must a project owner be worried about? That's the question. Uh, Yes, I, I
3: agree that when we have a highly digital environment, we need to have proper management of not just liquidity, but also the governance of the trading as well. One of the serious elements that has existed many times in the past, uh, specifically with NFTs, is uh, something we call wash trading. And wash trading means completely fake trading. So that means the person who ends up selling and actually buying the NFT is actually the same person or same wallet. I mean, it's different wallets, but owned by the same. So that means you basically are, or give the impression that uh, somebody bought a token NFT for several million dollars, where in reality that token has much lower value and it does not have the community behind it to actually support its original value. Uh, So today we need to have the mechanisms to both monitor, and ensure that this does not happen. And this can only be done if you have proper identity management and governance within the system.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
2: Uh, thanks for that. Um Sir, ask- Rod, if, fact, if yeah, I can but- just emphasize there what, what George is saying is it, it comes down to the governance of the, the, the token. It, it's not different from a real life uh, or let's call an old school situation where you have shareholders. And if you don't have shareholders agreements in place, then one shareholder can sell to a a third party that you didn't want to participate in your company. Um, So the the equivalent of shareholder agreements is the governance that you put in place when you set up your white paper.
0: Right, okay. Uh, There's a question uh, in the chat from Rick Farina. Uh, He's asking if Eloisa would be joining the conversation. Unfortunately, she's under the weather, so she had to be excused. But if you have any questions for her, I'm happy to direct them uh, to her for uh, she could answer them later. Uh, Okay, uh, Kelly is back. Kelly, you were out for a few seconds. Do you want to add to the conversation?
1: So, yeah, can you please repeat the question?
0: Okay, the question was in the chat, and it was talking about or actually, a similar question has come from Annalisa, who's also a friend of our show. So I give her a shout out. Uh, she wants to know about the ownership implications of using tokens for funding a project.
1: She wants to understand the ownership
0: implications. yeah.
1: The ownership applications in terms of trying to own the ERC-20 token as a investor, or? Can you elaborate a bit more on the question?
0: Uh, Let me uh, read it correctly. What is the ownership implication of using tokens for funding a project? Is that as an investment opportunity that would need to be governed by the SEC?
1: Hmm, That's a very tricky question. So the short answer is if it is a security token, then yes. Uh, there will be a uh, direct implication on um, regulatory bodies coming in to um, effectively uh, challenge the security token that you're issuing. And if you don't have a license to issue t- security tokens, which a lot of the projects probably do not uh, as a standalone, uh, there will be, um, they will have to work with third parties um, that have these licenses to distribute security. But uh, going back to the utility token, um, so projects can issue utility governance tokens um, also. And under the utility token, you will have a flexibility to effectively, as a project owner, uh, get access to um, fund a bit faster, but at the same time, investors who come in uh, would also have a quicker liquidity event, uh, being able to trade those tokens um, and potentially trade it at a profit. All
0: right. There's another question from Arvind, who's from Indonesia. He says, uh, are there any disadvantages of tokenization? Anybody wants to take that? one for for one i can say it's a bit complicated but it's not a disadvantage but yeah uh vincent you wanted to say something
2: so i suppose the 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 disadvantage i'd say is time-based so right now um we're at uh, maybe not the bleeding edge but the cutting edge um of of a new way of operating um, so you you are limiting your audience. It's a very large audience, um, but it's not as mainstream as other um, investment methods. Or uh, obviously, it depends what you want to do with the token. It's not just about investment. Um, but yeah, because it's not mainstream, um, you might not get the adoption that you were expecting. So timing, and and maybe if timing is not your issue, then Just make sure you've got your target audience correctly described.
0: Yeah. Kelly, you were
1: saying something? So echoing what uh, Vincent is also saying, I think there's advantages, probably not so much. But uh, if project rushed into uh, tokenizing what they feel like is an opportunity to raise some money, um, they may not necessarily have the right longevity built into the project because they're too focused about the cash grab for lack of a better word, right? Right. Uh,
0: There's a question from Gerard from Lebanon. He wants to know, what is token burning?
2: Anybody wants to answer that? I think Kelly's probably the right one to answer, Um, but from maybe an operational or business perspective, it's basically that the, the, the tokens after a certain period of time cease to exist. Um, so you constraining supply. That's what it's about. It's constraining supply.
0: It is like the opposite of uh, token minting, right? Am I right?
1: Effectively, yes. Yeah. You remove you remove supply um, from the market.
0: All right. Um, these are the questions that I had received uh, through social media and through LinkedIn. If our audience has any more questions for our panelists, okay. There's one. I would like to share my email with the panelists. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, Can I also request our panelists to share their LinkedIn profiles in the chat so, you know, people find it easy to connect with you. Uh, There will be a recording and a podcast available of this webinar uh, tomorrow, same time on onlywebinars.com. So that's just on a housekeeping note. And... uh, I'm just going to also inform our audience that on 27th September, we'll be hosting a webinar uh, which is entitled DAOs for Humanity. Why should you get involved? So that's coming up on 27th September. Uh, you just have to go to onlywebinars.com and uh, register for that one. Um, now I'm going to go around the room uh, just uh, to ask our panelists, uh, what kind of uh, challenges they are facing in their organizations uh, while advising clients on uh, tokenomics. So I will start with Kelly first, if I may.
1: Thank you, Sherrod. Um So a, the biggest challenges I would uh, see is that we are getting a lot of uh, traditional Web2 companies um, trying to ask for the perfect formula to come into Web 3, <laughs> and there is no per- perfect formula. Uh, a lot of the Web 2 companies, um, as they dip their toes into Web 3, oftentimes they treat it like a marketing campaign, um, consumer g- engagement uh, base. So it's a lot of times it's a one off without thinking about the longevity of what they're creating um, that that comes that, that is a challenge that we see a lot. Um, and they're expecting a lot of um, knowledge and insight uh, from us, uh, which they may not necessarily be able to understand. So to give you an example, uh, there are um, a lot of Web2 companies that own IPs that uh, they license and their monetization model around that is that they make money from licensing that IP. Now you have a project like the Board 8 Yacht Club where um, when you buy the NFT, right? As as the, let's call it as the producer or the publisher of the NFT, you're actually um, giving up the commercialization, right? Um, or maybe you don't give it up, but you basically assign it to, um, to the NFT owner, right? So whoever actually buys the, your IP, the one that you've created, uh, has a full uh, commercialization right to that. And in the Web2 world, uh, it's almost unheard of, and it's really hard for them to digest. Right. So uh, part of our challenge is really convincing your traditional IP owners to, to basically uh, agree to co-create something new with you uh, so that you have an opportunity to look at scaling at a different type of um, uh, way uh, where in a web two or even a web one, a situation on a pure merch perspective, uh, there's a lot of limitation.
0: Right, uh, thanks Kelly. Uh, again, for our audience, um, we have a community called Meta Shapers. I put the URL in the chat. Um, feel free to join that. It's a community of like-minded people in this industry. And we share a lot of white papers and best practices about uh, Web3. So uh, do check us out on meta-shapers.com. We also do monthly uh, Zoom events for networking. So uh, it will be useful for you to get up to speed in terms of what's happening in this space. Uh, George, if I may come to you, um, are you advising a lot of clients Um, in terms of helping them transition from web two
3: to web three? Yeah, actually that's a very interesting question because um, we are actually in the process of helping create a bridge between web two and web three. Many web three projects are actually trying to displace or disrupt web two projects. A very small percentage of these will actually be successful. What do I mean by that? If you want to create tomorrow's Facebook or tomorrow's Google or tomorrow's Instagram, I think you have your work cut out for you because those are well-established brands. They have a very good following. They have a good traction. If, However, instead of uh, trying to beat them, you join them and you enhance them with Web3 features. And what I mean by that is by through deep links and uh, digital wallets, you are what I usually call a Web 2.5, which is the bridge between Web 2.0 and 3.0 uh, with deep links. There's many technologies that can be used here. You'll be in a position to actually uh, kind of uh, transition or transition the user base into the Web 3.0 because those people will start using tokens and tokenomics. Now, what does that really mean? Let's say if you are today an influencer and you create content, maybe you create content on Instagram or you can create content on YouTube. Today, the only way you have pretty much to monetize yourself is to actually get paid directly either by, um, in this case, Facebook or Google. However, if we have links embedded into what you are producing, you have the capability to now also get tokens alongside with the returns that you actually make uh from uh, those big giants that are already in place. Now, it does not mean that everybody is going to automatically trans- transform themselves into 100% just using tokens, but now you have created again another bridge between the existing world that we have and the new world that we're trying to create. And I think this approach of inclusivity will actually end up being successful, especially in the short term or near short term. And by the way, this applies not only to what I would call just the basic uh, web uh, 3.0, this also applies to the metaverse as well as a key element. If people think that tomorrow people are going to live only in the metaverse, I don't think that's a realistic expectation, especially when the technology is not there. I mean, I don't know if anybody tried these goggles for more than one hour. It's not so such so interesting. If you want to do e-commerce on those goggles, it's not a very practical solution. However, if you create an hybrid, which is what I call mini-verses, multiverses, the capability to integrate those two together. If you create a light metaverse that actually runs on mobile phones because most of the existing ones don't, then you're actually creating a bridge between the web 2.0 and 3.0, and this will give you much more traction and much more capability into making those projects uh, successful. Thanks, uh,
0: George. That was a masterclass. There's a question in the chat from Glenn uh, Capel. He wants can anyone speak about the future of tokenomics in commercial real estate? Who wants to
2: take that? Um, I'd I'd be happy to jump in with the first stab at it. Um, I, I have a real estate background. Um, about uh, twenty years of of my work career, spent working for um, real estate investment trusts. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to to link tokenomics specifically just to commercial real estate. I I would say, think of it as um, the way Kelly was explaining it, um, of fractionalizing um, and timeshare. That is an existing investment method. So I can right now go and purchase fractional use of apartment in a resort town and go have a vacation certain times of the year. Um, what tokenomics is doing is just making that a more accessible thing to do. Um, I don't need to go through uh, tons of paperwork and exchange controls if I wanna go and own a piece of real estate in Hawaii now. Um, it's Tokenization is, is simplifying and making that easier. Uh, so in terms of the future, I do think it is the future of real estate investment, uh, but there are very big institutions with existing business operating models that need to be overcome. So it's not in the near future. Um, So yeah, the Empire State Building, yeah, um, yeah. (laughs) that's an example. But how real the ownership is, it'll become mainstream, I think, probably in the next decade. Yeah, Uh, thanks. Yeah, Kelly,
1: go ahead. I I think what's also going to be interesting is the pre-sale of real estate products. Hmm. Uh, Using NFT would be a great way to do that. Um, And the other thing um, which is interesting for real estate developer to consider is that uh, do they build out a digital twin uh, as a new class of product? to be offered to the the consumer market, right? So for example, some people may prefer a hybrid experience where there is access to the metaverse, but also the in real life accessibility to the property, right? So a combination of an enhanced consumer experience could be an interesting marketing angle, I would say.
2: Mm, Definitely. I'm actually looking at that for one of my clients to build uh, the shopping center in the metaverse. And you can then go online into the metaverse, do your shopping from the various stores. And then there's a a collection of the goods in reality that then gets delivered to you. So it's not, you go onto one retailer store and choose what you want. You go to the next retailer store, you go to the shopping center, and uh, then make your purchases. Um, And then combining, as you say, real-world benefits. So if I go to park at the shopping center, because I'm a metaverse participant, the parking is free or discounted and yeah. Yeah,
0: great. Uh, there's another question from Rick Farina. Uh, there's been much talk of supply chain on blockchain. Does this require tokenization or would this be an entirely different blockchain-based implementation? Who wants to I, do I, I can
3: what? help a lot of this. Supply chain is actually A very important element that very few implementations have addressed. I'll give you two cases or three where this has been very well. I mentioned very briefly about the case of the largest telecom uh, in the world, which is this case is actually Vodafone. Most of you, Vodafone runs over 50 different uh, mobile operators around the world. They have thousands of suppliers. One of them was Huawei, but there's Lenovo and. So what do they buy? They buy everything from batteries to servers to storage to mobile towers and everything in between. So imagine the amount of contracts this uh, organization has to sign with each one of those suppliers.
1: Uh,
3: Once the contract is signed, then you have the delivery of the contract. And then let's say you order 1000 mobiles, but only 900 show up. You have adjustments and so on. So all this is done in paper, not really in digital way. So if you replace this with digital contracts now the adjustments happen automatically because you have digital signatures between both parties yes it's less circular economy because it's not really dollars or euros or other currencies being exchanged but rather it's the value of those contracts and in the end maybe quarterly real money actually exchanges in the same way you do today interbank exchanges so And as a result, Vodafone saves $400 million a year by completely digitizing their supply chain contracts. This will be one example number one. Example number two that I find also extremely important, and I have several other colleagues trying to address that, is in supply chain, one of the big challenges is in trade finance. So let's assume big manufacturers today are in places like China, and you manufacture anything from toys to jackets or any other uh, good. The person who is ordering this needs to provide some guarantees, uh, letters of credit, all kinds of other banking instruments that ensure the person that either starts manufacturing the goods or delivers the goods, and typically those goods get uh, delivered by um, shipping today, although, you know, today 70% of all goods around the planet go by boat. People are trying to change this to other means of transportation like train and others, but that means there is a lot of, uh, and when does the good change its hand? Is it's in the middle of the ocean? So you need that this period of time where there's a lot of room for fraud, a lot of room for either the people who are buying the goods or the people who are manufactured the goods actually lose quite substantial amount of money. So once you digitize this and you protect this trade finance with digital instruments that are tied with the manufacturing, the delivery of those goods, then you automatically enable to have a much more trusted system in place. The last example is also alongside, but it's quite unique. I do a lot of flying today. I like to drive a a proper car. However, in the case of flying, there's a lot of fake parts. So imagine you're flying in an aircraft, and the guy that replaced the little part that is part of the engine is actually a spare part, but it's a fake one because it's not built to the right specs. Uh, So you're up there, you know, the chances that something bad happens to you increases quite exponentially. So if you have, in the case of manufacturing and supply chain, a completely identity management system that allows you to track these parts from the point that they're manufactured to the point they're actually delivered and used in real life, you actually create a much trusted system. Now, I give you the example of aircraft, but we can apply this to uh, for example, farming, and you want to make sure all oh, this ecological eggs or this ecological seeds. How do you know it was ecological? You need to have a way to track through a QR code or some other mechanism to ensure all the points in which it got created to the point it makes it to your table. If you drink it as coffee, for example, it, it is the real thing. So blockchain has the capability to provide that trust mechanism and create a whole new set of economies or trusted economies that simply were not there before.
0: Thanks, George. Uh, Rick, I think your question has been answered uh, by George. Uh, There's another comment from Tania, followed by a question. Tania is, again, a friend of our show. She's been on the panel in one of the previous webinars. So she says, great panel. Yes, thank you, George, Kelly, and Vincent. And her question is, uh, do you think digital marketing will be replaced by tokenization in Web3 in terms of profiling and targeting customers? Anybody wants to answer that?
2: I'd I'd be happy to give it a go. Kelly, unless you want to go first?
1: Go for it. Uh, From a non-marketing perspective, I'll give you my marketing perspective.
2: Okay, so, so the way I see it is is it makes sense that it would go that way. The data set that you have of your customer using tokenization is much richer. I can understand what that wallet address has done um, and have a very deep profile without losing anonymity. So the person stays anonymous, but I can, at least, I can give them very tailored content because of the deep um, history of transactions that they've performed. So I would say yes.
1: So I would say yes. Also, um, there are projects that are um, visiting how um, they get users to engage to earn. So by contributing or by willing to give up your personal data and being able to want to be targeted because you're going to be incentivized um, there is a lot of projects that are doing that. I think that could be a pretty interesting application for a lot of marketers in general a lot of consumer brands um, so the answer the short answer is yes uh, the other thing is around um, the NFT wallet or the uh, the crypto wallet itself, it becomes a CRM tool uh, because of the data that we're collecting around it. There's a lot of intelligence on both web two and web three outlets around the profile of the user and how user interact and engage within um, an ecosystem.
0: Thanks. And uh, Tanya, if I may just add to that, I'm happy to connect you with Cassinia, who's uh part of the Meta Shapers group and she is doing a lot of work uh, in this space in terms of uh, digital marketing in the Web3 space. So I'm happy to connect both of you after this uh, show. Um, I think we are done with the questions and we are close to 16 minutes. So uh, let's just do go around the room once with your closing thoughts panelists on just your general advice to our audience in terms of uh, you know, what's coming next in terms of tokenization? How do you see the future? What's the timeline, etc.? cetera? So let's uh, go around the room with Kelly. Kelly first.
1: So future of what we see with uh, tokenization and tokenomics, uh, I would say that um, a lot of the projects uh, that are looking to be tokenized are um, revisiting of their business model. Uh, to ensure that the tokenization portion of what they're trying to achieve is part of something that's sustainable. Uh, It's part of something that has that longevity where the token um, utility is there. Uh, for the adoption of the community that does come in. Um, I think there is a lot around um, integrating uh, Web2 successes, uh, business models that have already proven success, uh, bringing them into Web3, um, by adding a layer of uh, true ownership of digital asset being a, a key element of making some of these projects successful.
0: Yeah, George, what's the future?
3: Well, the future is gonna be really about the projects that actually tie the physical world with the digital world. And what do I really mean by that? It's not about creating a digital, 100% digital world. It's a digital twin that enhance the functionality that exists in the physical world. Let me take a simple example. Let's take cities like Dubai, which is the new generation of smart cities. They are not just smart cities, they're becoming now conscientious cities. There is a big gap between what we call a smart city, which is a city optimized by data using big data and statistics. In the case of a conscientious city, it's a city that is using AI mixed with data control and mixed with blockchain to actually have the citizens that participate in this city actually be part of this decision-making and select what they consider to be important to them. Uh, so let me give you an example. So this is very important. Uh, uh, five years or seven years ago, when SALEC got introduced in Dubai, SALEC was just the way to measure electronic toll gates to decide where people pay, et cetera, to help finance the roads. Originally, it was also to get people into the metro in specific uh, uh, cases. But now we're creating a complete system. Salek just initialized an IPO that's about to be launched. They're going to have dynamic gates and dynamic pricing. And that really means it's going to be about changing behavior of the people as they are part of the city to create a much more happy city where the citizens are satisfied in the usage of the services that are being provided. So blockchain gives the control back to the citizens to actually participate in this entire process. So the future looks good, but the applications that are actually shaping this future are just in the process of being built as we speak.
0: Yes, uh, George, I'm also uh, grateful uh, to be living in Dubai because this is clearly uh, you know, a city that's going to be the capital of the crypto metaverse space. And the government has a lot of ambitions and they've launched a lot of initiatives recently. Uh, So watch
2: this space. Let's go to Vincent for his closing thoughts. Yeah, future um, is that we're gonna see a proliferation uh, even more than we already have. And with that, uh, a consolidation, I think in the next three to five years. And what's going to be the characteristics of of the tokens and blockchain that last is as George said, where they've tied um, something in reality to the the digital world. It's a digital twin, not an island on its own. There's true utility behind the token.
0: Great. Uh, So time to say thank you to everybody, to our audience. Wonderful audience, very interactive, very participative. Wanna give a shout out to Steve Baker, John Scott, Annalisa, Susan Furness, uh, Lauren, and so many others who participated actively. Uh, big shout out to Kelly who came in from Tokyo. I know it's close to 11 p.m. your time. That's commitment. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks, Winston, for tuning in. And thanks to Michelle for introducing me to you. And uh, George is my local Dubai lad. So We'll catch up with you soon. And thank you, George, for all those insights. And I'll have a separate one, one you know, conversation with you soon enough. So thank you all uh, for investing your 60 minutes with us. And uh, I cherish this conversation. Our recording will be available, as I said, uh, tomorrow, same time on onlywebinars.com. So goodbye for now. See you on the other side. Bye-bye. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much. Bye.
0: Bye.
3: Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Until next time. Until next time.